0: you don't really learn how to manage an emergency until it happens.
1: This is Kalani Scott, and she's attending the Northwest Tribal Public Health and Emergency Preparedness Training and Conference in Portland, Oregon. It's an annual event where health and emergency management professionals can meet to discuss how to better work with different tribes located around the Pacific Northwest.
0: This is my first time attending a conference such as this, and this this role of my position is really since we had our floods recently is the first time I've kind of dived into you know emergency preparedness type stuff. There
1: you go. And this conference covers all kinds of stuff. Topics like evacuation preparedness, or increasing healthcare response capabilities, or using social media. No. Oh, in general. Over
2: social
3: media. Yes, we are we're definitely a two-way uh, communicator.
1: And there's a talk from FEMA about hazard mitigation.
3: What is the pre-disaster mitigation grant program? So this is a a program that has grant funding available to implement some of the projects that you may have identified in your hazard mitigation plan. It's a really great resource for tribal governments to access. They can apply directly to FEMA for these funds if they've completed a FEMA-approved hazard mitigation plan. This is a program that is offered nationally on an annual basis, assuming that we get an appropriation for the program each year, which, which we have.
1: Congress has authorized FEMA to implement programs that are meant to reduce the loss of life and property by lessening the impact of disasters. That's pretty much mitigation. It's this program, or programs really, that have the interest of many of the emergency managers attending this conference. The possibility of a tribe being affected by disaster causes concern with everyone, but the approach to things like preparedness, recovery, and mitigation are a little different when working on tribal lands. Do you worry about people on the reservation?
0: I do, and specifically the children and elders. You know, many reservations and tribal lands are located in rural areas. There's limited access to some of these homes, and a lot of these elders have homes that they grew up in, and they have limited access to communication, to technology, Um, emergency situations come up. They don't want to leave their homes. And that's very, that's very worrisome. Uh, you know, one thing with our elders is they, they hold a history and, and wisdom that we can't replace.
1: I'm David L. Yost, and this is the FEMA Podcast.
4: I've not been through the mitigation grant process. Um, I've heard about it. Um, from some of our other tribes and from just FEMA and the state as well. Eli Grove is the
1: emergency preparedness coordinator for the Confederated Tribes of Siletz Indians. This is the first time he's attending this conference
4: too. So yeah, I've heard about uh, the programs, but just right now, I'm kind of still getting my feet in and learning. You know, how can how can I how I can get assistance um, in completing some of these projects uh, applications to get grants and uh, maintaining that as well as updating what we do have currently.
1: In states like Oregon, big disasters occurring from wildfires, earthquakes, tsunamis, attract mitigation efforts from anyone that works in emergency management. But for a tribal emergency manager, it's not just the big disasters, but smaller disasters that can lead to a bigger recovery.
2: Hazard mitigation lives in my office, um, and I'm a one-person office, um, but I get a lot of help and support from my other departments. We're working on mitigation and really any of the emergency management projects, so I'm very fortunate in that regard. We've had some flooding events that have caused us to implement incident management, do damage assessment. Uh, We've had some wildfire events. We've had some winter weather events that have required office closure.
1: That's Tracy DePue, the director of emergency management for the Cow Creek Band of the Umpqua Tribe of Indians. He's been on the job a little longer than Eli, over three years actually. Tracy has a diverse set of terrain to cover because the Cal Creek Reservation is in kind of a checkerboard pattern which factors into his mitigation concerns. What does tribal mitigation mean to you?
2: Well, um, it gets kind of complicated pretty quickly um, because the values at risk for tribes, um, in my observation, can be very, very different than values at risk for other jurisdictions such as cities and counties uh, and states. Um, So what tribal mitigation means to me is really kind of a more organic, holistic approach, taking into consideration the natural resources, which are also cultural resources, and and those are values at risk. So when we mitigate, we certainly look at the traditional values at risk, people, life safety, buildings, property. But beyond that, we need to look at the other values at risk that may be on tribal land or off tribal land. So for that reason, I engage not only in our tribal hazard mitigation program, in jurisdictions with jurisdictions that are doing hazard mitigation planning within our ancestral territory as well.
1: With those specific tribal concerns, reducing the loss of life remains key. Kristen Myers is the Hazard Mitigation Assistance Branch Chief in FEMA Region 10. That was her speaking to an audience earlier about hazard mitigation.
3: The first thing that we see communities thinking about with any natural hazard is life safety. So if something bad happens, how are people able to survive it? Um, And so when we look at tsunami, one of the major uh, issues that communities face is having safe places to evacuate to. That's the first level of concern that we see communities raising to us with regard to the tsunami hazard. Uh, And similarly, if you compare that to wildfire, If it's a very fast-moving fire, that's a thing of concern. So you also have evacuations. But typically, with a wildfire, you may have a little bit more time or you have the set routes where you can get uh, to a safe place in a relatively short amount of time. Versus with a tsunami, if you're living in a location that doesn't have high ground nearby that you can evacuate to, then you do need um, some other structural resources to to have people evacuate too, so that's the first level of of things that we see communities thinking about which is how do we make sure if something bad happens we lose as few lives um, or no lives if we possibly can and then the second level of things we see community look communities look at is what are the buildings and infrastructure that these people rely on for this day-to-day services that they need shelter food water medical care What are are the buildings and infrastructure that exists that provide those services? And how do we protect those things? So we think about the housing stock. That's in particular with wildfire, that's what we see impacted most directly is, is people's homes. So how do we protect those through either ignition resistant construction, so those structures don't catch fire, and defensible space around them so the vegetation doesn't catch fire should there be a wildfire through that area. Um, With tsunamis, really the impact to the built environment uh, that's so widespread that you're really thinking about life safety and then how do we get those people to a safe space while the community recovers and rebuilds.
1: If I'm a member of a tribe or if I represent a tribal community, how do I receive one of these grants?
3: i guess i'll say uh, a couple of things about that so the first stage when we talk about the mitigation grants the first step is the mitigation plan and that is a process that tribal leadership as well as the tribal members go through together to identify all of the natural hazards that are of concern to them so you may have a, a tribal community that is worried about flood and earthquake and tsunami and wildfire and landslides they may have all of those. Some may have the risk of a greater impact than others. So you'll see them potentially whittle that down and go, well, we know some of, you know, all of these five different hazard event could happen, but right now we're really most concerned about earthquakes and tsunamis. So we're really gonna focus in on understanding what those risks are to the people in our community and to those buildings and infrastructure they rely on. And we're gonna come up with a, bi- a big list of stuff we can do about it so that over the long term that the people in the community are safer. From there, uh, the, the tribal governments and the people in the community do need to decide Okay, if there's one individual project that we need funding resources to make happen, for example, we want to build a a structure for tsunami evacuation where people can go to should should an earthquake happen along the coast causing a tsunami and we only have 20 minutes to get everybody we possibly can in the community to a safe place. Then they take that one individual project of we want to build a tsunami evacuation structure, um, and they bring that project proposal to FEMA through the grant process. Um, to access the funding specifically, we actually we have funding available both for the planning stage. So if a tribe needs funding, res- uh, financial resources to go and do that that hazard mitigation planning, our our. Hazard Mitigation Assistance grant programs can fund that. And then we also have the option to do project grant funding as well. So that tsunami evacuation structure. Uh, The major program that we have that is the most accessible to tribal governments is called the Pre-Disaster Mitigation Grant Program. That's an annual program that uh, funds are appropriated through Congress for that each year. We have an annual notice of funding opportunity that comes out through grants.gov. And once that's out, then we typically have a three to four month application period. We've, we've got our own uh, system that tribes apply through. And then in Region 10, we provide webinars and training opportunities each year, as well as appointments with our staff so that tribes interested in applying to this program can ask questions about the specific project or planning grant they're looking at pursuing and understand a little bit better how to work through our systems.
1: These systems are on the long list of worries with tribal mitigation applicants. FEMA is looking for ways to, well, mitigate the worries about mitigation grant programs. That can be through the release of the new Tribal Mitigation Planning Handbook or through a conference like this in Portland.
3: In addition to the webinars that we'll be doing, there are also resources already out here uh, regarding our grant programs. Um, John mentioned the Mitigation Ideas book already, but there's a picture of it. Uh, we have our hazard mitigation assistance. We have multiple grant programs. I focused on the pre-disaster mitigation grant program today, but this outlines all of the, all of the great rules that we have uh, for all of us to follow with our grant programs. Uh, and we also have an addendum to it that drills into real, some of the project types that we see regularly. This is, these aren't the only type of projects that we fund. We fund a broad range of projects when it comes to natural hazard risk reduction. But these are ones we see very commonly, so we've got extra rules for you to follow. And make sure we all follow them together listed out here. Uh, and then we've got a very well organized web page with a whole slew of job aids and, and resources organized by different project types, as well as the different hazards. So that's a great resource as well something else that's a really important resource within the pre-disaster mitigation grant program, specifically for tribal governments, is uh, something called advance assistance. This is a se- essentially mitigation project development funds Over the years, we've noticed that a lot of great work goes into hazard mitigation planning to come up with that laundry list of projects that tribes are considering doing to reduce risk. Um, And then we see great projects specifically proposed. Uh, But there's a gap in being able to really take what you know you wanna do as a community and make the right, look at all the different alternative ways of handling a situation and putting some funding resources into that so that a tribe can, can weigh some options against each other, or perhaps in, invest in the engineering that you need to make the best case for your project uh, through a grant application cycle. So just to highlight the advance assistance type of grant that is also available within pre-disaster mitigation, that's just another opportunity that's out there for tribal governments.
4: For me, it's a pretty broad view of mitigation right now, but
1: yeah. Well, as you're new to the process, I mean, what do you see as like potential challenges? Is there anything that you don't like? Anything that you think FEMA could be doing better?
4: Um, well, I think I think um, it seems to me, as I'm new, that some of the things are a little bit redundant in terms of, uh, I like the hazard mitigation plan. I think that's a very good catch-all way to, um, you know, in all phases of an emergency, the response to recovery and so on. Um, I think it's a great way to capture all of that and to educate your community um, and your tribe within that. But I don't, um, I don't think that, I think that there's similar similar things that tribes and cities, I guess not all cities, but like the Thyra for example. I think a lot of those things are uh, are so similar that it's almost redundant and puts a lot more work on tribes especially because we often don't have the capacity um, to be able to fill those positions that say a county would to be able to complete those plans so i like i like the kind of the catch all that allows us to apply and get more money for mitigation but i also think there's a lot of other um, there's a lot of other things that don't need to be a part of that in order to get that funding
1: what's with that right
4: uh, threat hazard risk analysis or something. Yes, close, right? Kind of right. It's threat and hazard identification and risk assessment. What the acronym
1: stands for isn't the point. The point is that most travel emergency managers don't have a staff.
4: They are one-person operations that are working through an unfamiliar system. That's what I've heard from a lot of the other tribes. Uh, it's really time-consuming, and like I said, I don't think it's. It's not necessarily that we're not interested in doing that and making our tribe more resilient. It's just that we don't have the capacity and that to get it done, in the amount of time, the timeline that is put forth on us. You know, I mean, I'm I'm updating our plan by myself right now and doing. You know, I'm not I'm not there. I can't be doing that right now. You know, so I'm just trying to juggle a lot of things.
1: As there are nine federally recognized tribes in the state of Oregon, reaching out to anyone familiar with the process can help.
4: If you are a one-person operation,
2: you probably want to consider getting some help. I mean, you know, I know the NOFO hasn't come up yet, but you can start talking to contractors now and getting some bids or some quotes on what it might cost to assist with the process so you know how much money you're asking for and that gets incorporated into your scope of work as you're developing your plan.
1: How can FEMA make your mitigation projects easier?
2: Uh, so, really, I think the responsibility for mitigation Projects so identification of risk and threats and hazards and identifying projects really is the responsibility of the tribe What is the challenge for me is navigating the grants management system and some legacy systems? So being a one-man on one-person operation um, That really becomes a challenge not being intimately familiar I think you have a suite of about 17 different applications and all of them very different I do get the technical expertise that I need Um um, or the, you know, the technical consultation that I need, but um, that's a pretty that's a pretty time-consuming, pretty arduous, pretty deadline-oriented process. When I'm really trying to work all five of the core capabilities, you know, when I start working on mitigation, and in particular a grant within um, one of those five core capabilities, it, that becomes a challenge. So FEMA could help me by really leaning forward on the grants modernization, and I know they're doing so that. So it's
1: kind of a resources uh, problem for you? Would you say like more of a human resources
2: problem? Um, Probably more of a technical resources problem um, because each um, system is very different. Some of them are developed and are really counterintuitive. So I struggle with them just from a navigation standpoint when trying to populate certain applications or certain fields and understanding what it is that they're looking for. So would
1: you say like software-based though? Yes. Yeah, not everybody gets to spend time on either reservation or with like tribal members. Uh, Is there anything that you would in part, I guess, on people that that haven't done that. What what kind of message do you like to send them as far as mitigation goes? What do you want like the general public to understand about you know your experiences about things that
2: you're worried about? I when I guess I want them to understand that we're uh, their partner um, and that we're approachable and that we'd like to share our story with them so that we can work more cooperatively together. Uh, my tribe is the tribe I work for is a reservationless tribe, so. Inherently, there are other jurisdictions that occupy our ancestral territory. Um, So it's very important for me to not only assist them in their mitigation planning because they're within the ancestral territory and we have interest in what it is they're doing, but it helps them to be able to understand us better as well. We've linked
1: to this episode on our FEMA Facebook page, and we invite you to join in the conversation in the comments. If you have ideas for a future topic, send us an email at fema-podcast at fema.dhs.gov. If you'd like to learn more about this episode or other topics, visit fema.gov forward slash podcast.